This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. You know, I don't understand this podcasting thing. How come you boys can't have those keg parties and chase the girls like all the other nice boys do? Y'all are nerds. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and today my crazy holiday calendar says it's National Hermit Day, which is perfect because all I intend to do today is hang out with you. You are so welcome. Today, the whole team is all about you. Because we're answering your letters. We'll answer a question from Joseph, who's just starting to save. One from Gwen, who wants to know how to pay off her mortgage early. And even one from Axel, who wants to nerd out with the spreadsheets. Well, that's an interesting transition from Guns N' Roses. Huh. Well, that's not all. There's big news happening in the world of annuities. And we'll talk to one of our favorite annuity experts from Blueprint Income, we welcome Lauren Minches. And now, two guys who could both be professional hermits because they definitely do not like to talk. No. Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. Is he trying to say we're chatty? I was thinking when he says hermit, I th- immediately think crab legs. Because mm. I think hermit crab and I go right to crab and I'm going, all you can eat crab. And I think back of a place I used to go for 19 bucks when I was in college on Tuesdays. That sounds like some quality crab leg right there. It actually was. What? This place had to stop doing it because once the college kids figured out, it was kind of in a sleepy town next to the college town. Once the restaurant figured out that all the college kids were coming there, they had to... Shut her down. Shut it down. <laughs> yep. Uh, sir, you said all I could eat. Yes. Keep it coming. By Keep the way, coming. when you're in college, that's like the best financial move you can make. Is to find the arbitrage line, right? I mean, that is college arbitrage. Oh, yeah? You bet I can't beat that number? I bet you I can make you pay. Yeah, we had that at uh, when we were in Detroit last week. We went out to dinner, and the guy says, well, this is a pretty big bucket of chicken. It's really meant for four people. And Doug and I went, challenge accepted. (laughs) so funny. I jumped on, and I think you guys were upset that I was having some of the chicken. You're like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you did take the biggest piece that you know it was both, both of us were going to cage fight over but it, it, it was it was good chicken though it was it's actually really good and actually downtown detroit although i used to live there and the basement's moving back i had no idea i had no idea how cool downtown detroit was i told mrs og the same thing i said it's been so long since we've been down there she worked down there for a while long time ago and it totally was go to work come home go to work come home and that was the extent of 
you know, her travels. I've been down there for football games and baseball games and hockey games. And it was literally go to the game, come home, go to the game, come home. And now hang out all sorts of cool. Three stuff. years ago, I told myself as I saw some construction starting downtown Detroit, I said, we should buy some property downtown. And then two years ago, I said, it might be too late. And we were down there celebrating being back in Detroit. It's totally too late. I was trying to figure out how I should marry Dan Gilbert's daughter. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> like, I should get in on this, exactly. but I don't have the money to compete in the real estate space. How do I get, does he have a kid that maybe my kid could marry or maybe, you know, Mrs. OG is okay. Step it aside while I take one for the team, <laughs> get in with the billionaire family. Can you see maybe that? Maybe she should get in with the billionaire family, <laughs> you know, whatever. You guys set up this whole plan. There's going to be a marriage involved, then a divorce, and then a somehow re- it backfires. Get back yeah. together. Sounds like a movie, doesn't it? Yeah, you know how you make all this work. You have to look your best, OG. That's the key. If you look your best, then you can get into the Gilbert family. And with that, we have to thank Mac Weldon. Which, by the way, I got my Mac Weldon closed. Have you gotten just yours yet? Got it. Yeah, it's oh, incredible. Yep. Thanks to Mac Weldon for coming on board and supporting Stacking Benjamins. Mac Weldon is a premium men's essentials brand that believes in smart design and premium fabrics. For 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com. Use promo code SB at checkout. We'll talk about them more later, but uh, Cheryl stole some of my clothes that I got from Mac Weldon, like immediately. Oh, this one's mine. The men's clothes? Yes. Of course, met for men, but uh, obviously made for- It's pretty soft cotton. It is incredible. Obviously made for sure. What did you get? Or we talk about it later? Yeah, we can talk about it later uh, because we got a show to do. Normally, we'd have a second show sponsor here to thank. But you know what? We have to thank you, everybody who came out for our live tour, because we've never done this before. And I have to say, it was was so fun meeting so many people. And Detroit, the way you packed the house to end our tour was... uh, Kind of standing room only. We were. Did you see how they had like chairs lined up on the one side there? Yes. We were so thankful to see so many friends, meet so many new friends, and uh, have some laughs with our friends. And, the, and people came from all over people from Cleveland, Columbus, Kalamazoo, Holland, uh, all the way across the state of Michigan. And uh, just very grateful that uh, we've got friends that we hadn't met before. And that's that's always fantastic. By the way, and a big thanks. If we're talking about sponsors, we couldn't have done it without both Bloom and TIAA. Bloom with three O's, managing 401ks, and TIA working with very smart people. Oh my goodness, those those stories of difference makers around the country that TIA told. Holy they kind of brought it every episode, didn't they? Yes. They're like, oh yeah, you thought last week was good? Check this out. Yeah. And (laughs) now look who we have. And by the way, we held this before. People have been asking us whether we would play those shows. We are not going to do an off week like we usually do coming up. Instead, we're going to play the live shows. So you will hear the live shows in the feed if you couldn't make it. But uh, it's so, so fun. And the hard thing is some of those are, are live visual gags that we did, but great times. So thanks to everybody. All right, enough thank you. We got a show to bring because we've got your letters, which is always our favorite episode. So let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now, it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins headlines. Our first headline comes to us from CNBC, and this is written by Tim Seymour and Ryan Dodd. The red hot Fang trade is officially over. Did you know that? Did you get the memo that Fang stocks? Oh, darn it. Yeah. I didn't. You're you're suffering from fear missing out now, aren't you? Well, 
what a great opportunity to short all those stocks. <laughs> I don't think they're saying to short them. I don't think oh, it's that bad. Two X, two X bear them. They're, no. <laughs> they're saying now bet on your fellow man with two ends. That's the new. Oh, trade. Okay. Very cute. What do we got here? Yes. So maple syrup, apple crisp. <laughs> As investors look for new acronyms to express investment themes, it's worth focusing on the fantastic Fang trade with two A's because they add Apple to theirs at CNBC. Yes. So, so Fang specifically is Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. The Googler. Performance and why its days are numbered. Investors are correct to be concerned about the future direction of Fang stocks. After all, together with Microsoft, these companies accounted for, listen to this, 50 percent of the gains for the S&P in 2018, as well as leading the recent declines. Don't wait for Fang leadership to pick markets up again. There are serious headwinds, rising costs for the business model itself, including significant regulatory scrutiny facing Facebook and Google. On the other side, positive tailwinds will favor Amazon, Microsoft, and Netflix. We suggest investors drop the F and G and add M consider man as the new leadership group in global markets. So now they're saying Microsoft, Amazon, Apple, and Netflix. As we've written before in 2018, there's brewing storm over data privacy, i.e. how a company uses your personal data to generate profits. Damage to shareholder value won't be just in the form of rising costs and fines for Facebook and Goog. It could eventually lead to significant declines in shareholder value due to customers losing trust and management teams due to the privacy issue. Apple CEO took a hammer to other members of Fang at a speech in Europe this week, suggesting some companies, guess who, in the data industrial complex are, quote, weaponizing the management of your personal data. A solution, he suggests, is for the U.S. to enact similar privacy protections to Europe. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Hmm. This just, I think, proves the point of you can't figure out what stocks are going to do what when. It totally gives us the rationale for being ultra-diversified, doesn't it? It does, because I look at this, and that was my point of bringing this up. Fang has been so good to investors for so long. And now, and I agree, having Microsoft in there seems to make sense, like from a just a, a cursory knowledge of how different companies work. I mean, I can be a little biased. My son works for Microsoft, but I've, I've liked Microsoft for a long time. But yeah, but for 15 years, it didn't do anything. It didn't do crap. <laughs> it's at 32 bucks a share. Yes. You know, but it paid dividends. So, and maybe that's what's going to happen with some of these companies, or maybe it's not. Uh, you know, all of these uh, fear and panic posts come out, of course, after the stock market's down 6%. I, I saw in the news this morning that this was the... <laughs> This was the, quote, most volatile October in 100 years. Oh, man. You're kidding me. Yep. That's what they said. Did, yep. I, did I just throw up in my mouth? I don't know. Here, let me let me see. Yep. You got a little <laughs> schmutz there. Let me. I no, got it. Yeah. Right there. Got it. Brother from another mother. I just yep. threw up in my mouth again that you did that. <laughs> Hold on. Let me, let me clean you up, sweetie. But there's always somebody's theory, you know, you should buy these lettered stocks or that you should make this creation of combination the fang stocks or whatever. And you know what's really funny, of course? If you think about it, when did they come out with the fang is awesome or fang sucks? Was it six months before? 
the stocks took off? Of course not. It was after it's already happened. And they went, yeah, you guys should have owned all this stuff for the last five years. It's really done well. And now when do they come out with the uh, Fang sucks letter? When they're already, you guys should have got rid of this about five weeks ago. The end of September (laughs) would have been really smart because it's down 10% since then. Well, no crap, dude. Hindsight's always 2020, but this gives us all the ammo we need just in this little article here to say, Nobody knows what individual stocks are going to do on a day-to-day basis or month-to-month. But but let's point out to something, talking specifically, because I think that your point is well taken, that this is another call for diversification and a reason why you should. But for people that invest in individual stocks, you need to be on this level. I mean, you need to look at the headwinds that might be coming to your portfolio. I think you have to look at the, the specter of government regulation coming, more problems facing companies like Google and Facebook. And it's not about just liking the company and what they do. It's about staying on top of what they might do in the future. Because I think the truism has always paid off, buy on the rumor and sell on the fact. I know we had somebody on our on our Facebook group that was talking about waiting until something happened before they buy a position. And I don't even remember what it was, but my comment back was, you don't buy after you have to buy before if you're buying, which, you know, once again, individual stock game still comes down to betting and you have to have a lot of data to bet, which shows how much time you have to put into that to even compete. And the question is, is do I want to compete with a random market or do I want to give it up and say, there's 50 other things I can control. I'm going to take this thing that I can't control and give it away and focus on the others. If you're going to play the individual stock game, I think you have to recognize that, A, you need a great deal of money to do it because buying and selling individual stocks in 50 or 100 share increments is not profitable. It just costs too much to do. You need to be a bigger lot than that. And then you have to also recognize... but But you say that, you've got places like Robinhood where you can buy. So what do you mean by that? Well, sure, but then you get terrible execution. Right. So, you know, you're paying for it eventually. There's that. Yeah. Yeah. But what I mean is, is if you're going to have individual stocks, you can't be doing it with your $800 IRA account. Yeah. You know, that's really foolish. It's also probably foolish if you do it with your $800,000 IRA account, in my opinion. But you have to figure out a way to be diversified on your own. You have to create your own index fund, so to speak, of individual stocks. But here's the thing. You still can't do it on day-to-day news of... You know, well, maybe someday there's going to be privacy laws, and and we think here in the great think tank of CNBC that that's probably going to change. You don't think that Google's thinking about that? They've got billions of dollars at stake. They they're thinking about it, and they already have a plan for if the U.S. changes this or if Europe changes that. They already know what they're going to do. Yeah, it may hurt the stock price in the short run, but are we all going to stop using Google tomorrow? They're going to stop doing ad ads on the side of your Google page? I don't think so. So no matter what, you still have to be thinking about it for the long term. You know, Warren Buffett's got that famous position about individual stocks that if you're going to play the individual stock game, you should get 20 chits at the beginning of your life and you get to play a chit once. And so the most you can own is 20 different positions and you can't ever sell them. These are the ones you're going to own for the rest of your life. Of course, we know all those people that use their chit in 1955 to buy Sears you know, how's that working for you or Kodak or Eastern airlines or whatever, you know, that again, 
I think for the average investor puts a check mark in the just buy a diversified mutual fund and call it a day. Interesting piece. I'll link to it on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. And our second headline comes to us from Investment News. Listen to this. This written by Greg Iacurchi, Ohio National, an insurance firm, to end brokerage arrangements, eliminate advisor compensation on variable annuities. Financial advisors say the move will leave their clients vulnerable and sets a bad industry precedent. Greg writes, in what's believed to be a first-of-its-kind move among insurers, Ohio National Financial Services, Inc. has informed broker-dealers that sell its variable annuities that it will terminate servicing agreements and cut off commissions by mid-December, setting the stage for a showdown with some of the largest brokerage firms in the country. Ohio National sent a letter to its broker-dealer partners on September 28th to provide notice of termination of any and all servicing agreements in place between the two entities and their affiliates. The termination, which takes place December 12th, means that all individual annuity sales compensation will cease at that time, according to the letter which was obtained by Investment News. Uh, we have an expert in this area that we talk to all the time about annuities. Her company is disrupting the annuity business. We've got Lauren Minches on the line from Blueprint Income. Lauren, how are you? I'm great, Joe. How are you? Well, I'm good, but a lot of commission-based financial advisors aren't good. Basically what this says, tell me if I've got this right, Lauren. What this says is that these advisors, which sold these annuities and were promised a trailing commission, Ohio National just said, we're not going to pay you that commission anymore? That's correct. That's what they said. And they have a contractual agreement with these advisors that said that they would pay them commissions. Well, I think this gets at the complexity of products, both from the consumer standpoint and the advisor standpoint, because technically the contract, if you read it clearly, allows them to do this. It's just that nobody expected them to do this. And it's one of those fine print type details. Yeah. Later on in the piece, and we won't read the entire piece, it also says that lots of companies are getting out of the variable annuity business, which is, which as you know, is a business that's already laden with fees and people talk about it being very expensive. Yeah, so I think a lot of this has to do with the evolution of the insurance space. It used to be that people used insurance agents and insurance products to get most of their financial support. But as managed funds and 401ks have taken off, finance has been able to deliver access to financial products much more cheaply than insurance has been able to because of the distribution system they have set up, because the products are complicated because of the legacy technology systems they're using. So you've got an interesting situation where both sides think it's expensive. Oh. The insurers, right? The insurers are saying it's expensive because, and this actually goes back to the financial crisis when you started to see insurers like the Hartford getting out of variable annuities, they had priced the guarantees based off of one set of assumptions and then the market did things they didn't expect. And all of a sudden these guarantees became more expensive for them to offer. So they think that it's expensive. Distribution is expensive. And then also consumers now, because there are so many other options, like very low cost ETFs, look at insurance and think the insurance is expensive. So we've got these legacy systems that need to be disrupted at insurance companies. I think that's what you're saying. But also when you say distribution, you're saying the same thing everybody's saying. It's because of the high commissions in the first place that are making it difficult for these companies to keep them around. 
I think that's part of it. The reason why the insurers pay high commissions is because the products are complicated. So you need somebody to explain it to someone across the kitchen table, which is really what we're in the business of trying to improve. If only we made these annuities simpler, like the ones on our platform, perhaps you wouldn't need as much person-to-person, face-to-face conversations just to understand it. So uh, part of it is just built into the product complexity and the fact that it does require a lot of training to make advisors and insurance agents qualified to sell the products. And then it takes so much time to make a sale that they have to compensate them for the time. Is it partly though, Lauren, that these products just need to be simpler I mean, I know, I know lately there's been a lot of bells and whistles, at least when I was an advisor, there were a bunch of bells and whistles added to these products, maybe streamline them. Yeah. There's another thing that's going on. We're starting to see insurance companies offer more investment type products versus pure insurance products, because it's easier to offer an investment than it is to offer a guarantee. And it's because longevity is very expensive, meaning that an insurance company making this commitment to pay someone for the rest of their life is is a big cost to them and a, a guarantee that sometimes they're a little unsure of how to handle. And a lot of the bells and whistles are to provide other features separate from the thing that the annuity is really meant to do, which is the, the longevity guarantee. And the fact that the insurers are worried about longevity and they're huge companies that have the ability to pool risk should then indicate like how worried should we be as consumers about our own longevity and the financial impact of that if even the insurance companies are trying to add bells and whistles to their products so that the longevity protection is not as great. I love that point. And uh, I remember reading Rick Edelman making that point at first saying, whenever the insurance company's worried about something and they're jacking up the prices, <laughs> that's what you should worry about the most. Don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean you should buy the insurance, but you should at least have a strategy around that issue. What I'm worried about is if financial planners are worried about longevity and insurance companies are worried about longevity, Are we at all worried that with all these companies saying bye-bye to annuities and annuity business, are we at all worried that annuities will just go away, that annuities will just completely exit the business and there won't be such a thing? That's not really a concern of mine. Part of it is because as long as insurers are in the business of offering life insurance, the annuities are a good business for them to be in as well because it's the opposite side of the risk. Uh, But there is a danger of the market becoming less competitive if there are fewer people participating. And I think overall, you know, we have employers who have now exited the longevity space, too, by no longer offering pensions. The government has its hands full with Social Security. So I do think there needs to be a larger conversation about society and the general longevity of society. Now, part of the reason that it's all expensive is that not that many people are protecting themselves from longevity risk. And it's you know how insurance works. The larger the number, the easier it is to provide the coverage. And so if we only have a small subset of the population buying annuities, then the insurers actually have kind of a hard time protecting people from the longevity risk. So what we need is are more people buying annuities or a, a greater system set up for people to have access to that type of protection, it then gets, it's kind of like the health insurance argument and then gets cheaper for, for everyone. Chicken and the egg there a little bit, because on one hand, I think this cleansing is good getting a lot of the, the high fee stuff out of there. But on the other end, I, I agree with you, you know, a bigger pool is a better pool. Uh, Lauren, just very briefly, what's happening? Cause there's always something going on fun at, at blueprint income. What are you guys working on right now? 
Yeah, well, we just launched a new uh, marketplace to our website. We had traditionally been in the business of providing income annuities. These are the pension-like products that project your longevity, uh, but we added fixed annuities. And so these are more like CDs, but for retirement savings. So right now you can get uh, about four, a little over 4% for five years. It's a, a guaranteed return for a fixed period of time. On our site, you've got 30 plus insurers. And we, just like with the income annuities, we're trying to have the most competitive rates and the best access to guaranteed products. Awesome. And we'll link to uh, Blueprint Income on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. Well, thank you for being available on short notice to help us work through this because there's a lot of financial advisors, uh, well, a lot, of, a lot of brokers selling this stuff screaming right now, Lauren. So I'm glad, that, I'm glad you were available. No problem. Thanks for reaching out, Joe. Thanks to Lauren at Blueprint Income for clarifying that with us. How would you like to be a broker with Ohio National where you have this explicit, maybe implicit agreement where- I'm going to pay you this amount of money. And Ohio National goes, yeah, we're done. Psych. Well, you're seeing the fallout and wobbling of companies post Department of Labor fiduciary rule going bye-bye. And the SEC has no quejones to fix this, or they have teeny tiny pelotas, okay? <laughs> Let's put it a different way. This is why- No, that is the answer, because this, if, if the freaking SEC would say, here's what advisors can do or can't do, and here's the phrase, and here's the wording that you can use, and get rid of this blurry line bullcrap- It's just very frustrating being on this side of the table and seeing the wishy-washiness of these firms, whether it's Ohio National, Merrill, my favorite one recently that just got a little bit of press a week ago, State Farm, which two years ago or three years ago said, we will not allow you, if you're a CFP and you work at State Farm, we will not let you say that you're a CFP. I don't know how you could be a CFP and work at State Farm, but but because... No, no, seriously, because you don't do planning, right? I mean, it's just, right. you know, but because the uh, CFP board said that you have to have a fiduciary standard at your firm, we don't care what the government says. If you put yourself as a CFP, you better be a fiduciary. State Farm said, no, you can't do that. Well, guess what they just announced a couple a week ago? They just said, you know what? We've got 15,000 brokers. We should all have them be Series 65 licensed so we can start selling these mutual funds again because the Department of Labor ruling's gone. We've got a captive audience. We've got one of the largest sales forces in the country. I had a, I had a discussion God, with a, a couple friends while seat. we were in Detroit, a couple old financial planning buddies, and we were talking about these companies that say, you know, hey, we're doing what's right by clients. And then the Department of Labor specter of a new rule comes around and they go, oh, yeah, we're going to change. Well, now we're doing what's best for the client. This is best. And then now that it's not going to go through like, yeah, we're going to switch back to what's really best. best. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Uh, Do you want to do you want more dogs or ponies? Would you like more smoke or more mirrors? Which one would you like? It's very, very frustrating. It it is why I'm so happy to see, by the way, companies like Blueprint Income just nuking. Yeah. Just blowing up this area. Yeah, watch this. Yes. Here's how we're going to do it. And TIA, by the way, doing the the same thing. Excited to see companies like that. I think our takeaways from these, number one, not ready to trade fang for man. Well, then maybe you need to just diversify and let let that go. 
have a diversified portfolio and quit betting on individual stocks. And then second headline, the annuity business, it's a change in stay tuned. There's going to be a lot more where this came from. Well, if you've listened to the show before, you know, our favorite shows are the ones that are all about you and your letters. And we're going to take some letters here out of the mailbag. Our first letter today comes to us from Joseph. Joseph says, I'm just out of college and just started my first big boy job as an engineer. Joseph drives trains. OG. My wife and I have a combined college debt of 16,500, which I'm expecting to be paid by the end of next year. In total, nice, pretty aggressive. In total, we have about thirty-five thousand in debt, with the rest being a car loan. We're bringing in about eighty thousand per year, and have found by budgeting that we need about four thousand per month in expenses. And by the way, just just to stop for a second, I love the fact that with a budget, he knows about how much his expenses are, and hopefully, by tracking his spending, he'll be able to continue to know exactly where it is. Because you know, OG, you get out of college and you get that you get this job that pays eighty thousand dollars a year. There's a big opportunity for some lifestyle creep. Just a smidge. Yeah. He continues. I have about two thousand invested in AT and T and a BlackRock fund. My wife and I are wanting to be in the best financial position to have kids and are thinking about buying a house. My goal is to build passive income eventually to reach financial independence. So I did the math. With the monthly dividend BlackRock fund I own, and I would need about $800,000 invested to beat my monthly needs. That seems excessive to me. What are the steps I can take now to reach financial independence, and when will I be rich enough to start talking to a financial advisor? How do I know what types of financial income to go after? Do you have any reading material you suggest for starting out? Big fan of the show. I listen every day. Thanks for taking my question, Joseph. Man, we got a lot there. Okay, let's start off with the first one here. What are the steps I can take now to reach financial independence? And when will I be rich enough to start talking to a financial advisor? How about we do that first? Well, the first thing I think that's really important, I was just talking to a listener from the show a couple of days ago about this. It's very important to set up these systems day one. As soon as you get that big boy job, or if you're a physician and you're a resident, and now you are done with residency and your income went from forty thousand a year to four hundred thousand dollars a year, the time to fix all of that is that moment. And I'm not suggesting that you shouldn't give yourself a little something. You know, you worked hard through college, you did get a good paying job, or your your family is now uh, making more money. So yeah, you should have a little bit nicer things. But by the same token, you need to recognize that if you don't get ahead of that day one, it's going to be almost impossible to pull back from that lifestyle creep. I've never known anybody who have lived in million dollar houses that have said, you know, we should, we should downsize to a hundred thousand dollar house. Right. But I know lots of people that went from hundred thousand dollar houses to $200,000 houses and went, well, this is way nicer than our hundred thousand dollar house. <laughs> yeah, it is. When we talk to clients who are thinking about shopping for a home, I almost uniformly advise them, do not walk into a house that's outside of your budget, whatever your budget is. If you say the top end of my budget is 500,000, do not let your realtor, because their job, by the way, is to sell you a bigger house. Newsflash, they are nicer than $400,000 houses, <laughs> generally speaking. You go, wow, I didn't know they put crown molding on ceilings sometimes. Yeah, they do. If your budget is is $200,000, a great realtor trick, and you see this on these- Oh, it totally is, these, right? The, I know this is just a little outside yes, your budget. They will show you a $150,000 house, and then they'll show you a $250,000 house. 
Yeah, a crappy 150. Yes. And then they'll and say a really nice 250. You know, the 250, we can probably get them down to maybe 220. Can probably yeah. maybe get them down maybe. just above. And you know we what? Should it offer 220 and see what happens. Yes. And then you're in love with it and you buy it for 235. Mm-hmm. So busted. So all of this stuff you need to get set up on autopilot, whether it's savings or your debt plan or whatever. And it sounds like you're doing that. As far as like when do I talk to a financial planner? You know, every firm is going to be different on when quote unquote, it makes sense for that firm. But when you have things on autopilot, I don't really think that you need to have somebody else doing it for you if you're already doing a good job. Here's the type of financial advisor you need. And I don't know that it needs to be a licensed person. There are licensed people that do this, but I like having smart people in my corner who think differently about the world than you, who can say, you know what, you're stepping in this. It's like a board of directors position, somebody that you explain to them exactly how things are going. And they're like, have you ever thought about this? I like having that voice in my ear. And maybe that means you find a fee only person that will charge you a fee to sit down with you twice a year and sit in on your quote board meeting. And maybe it's just a friend who you let into your personal situation uh, that you know will disagree with you, but still has your best interest at heart. So I don't think you can do that soon enough. OG, I think this idea of a mastermind is is a great idea. Yeah, I agree with that. Absolutely. The uh, reading material that I would suggest, especially before you buy that house, our friend Scott Trench over at Bigger Pockets wrote a book I like called Set for Life. And for anybody who's just starting out, I really like that. My kids devoured this book, and it talks about saving your first 10,000, your first 100,000, and your first million. It's a great book. And by the way, if you want to support the show and also independent booksellers, we have a relationship with Powell's. If you go to stackybedjamins.com forward slash Powell's and buy it there, you'll support independent booksellers and you'll support Stacky Benjamins. But buy it however you want because that's that's some reading material based on what you're trying to do, Joseph, that I think I would I would highly recommend. I want to go back to this 800,000, how Joseph thinks that's excessive. Let's do some math, OG, some really realistic Ooh, this math. This is my favorite part. I was hoping we were going to do this. 800,000 is nowhere near excessive. And it's nowhere near enough. And by the way, there are people in the financial independence community, and I love the community, and I think we need to be talking about what are our values first and how does consumerism happen to us second. More people need to think about the world that way. So I love that. But there are people seriously messing this up. If we use the 4% rule, which is flawed, and by the way, it's flawed because it still isn't enough for a lot of people. But if we just use- Well, the time horizon on 4%, if you read the study, is- 30 years. Yeah. 30 years. If we, That's the likelihood. If we use the 4% rule, though, as a starting point, and everybody says, like OG just did, you need more than this, 4% of a million dollars means you can live a $40,000 a year lifestyle for the rest of your life. Now, why? Because Joseph's going, whoa, 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 my dividends are paying more than that. There's this thing called inflation. And inflation means you're going to need that pile of money to keep getting bigger so that you can continue to live that 40,000 lifestyle. Now, 40,000 based on Joseph, if you're 4,000 a month, you're already at 48. You're already above that. You can live on $40,000. You're not a baller, but you can do it. This is how I start this. So when we do discovery calls, one of the things I ask is, have you calculated this? And I like to do this back of the envelope calculation. So I didn't hear if he said how old he was. Uh, he's just out he of just college. Just out of college. So I'm going to say he's 22. And I'm going to give him 20 years to get there. Hell, I'll give him 25 years. How's that? So it makes him 47. 
Joe, do you even remember being 47? Easy. I'm sitting right here. I know. But check this out. Think of it this way. When you were 22, or your kids are 23 right now, how old is a 47-year-old to a 23-year-old? Oh, ancient. Right. How old is a 47-year-old in real life? Very young. Practically normal. Like a millennial. (laughs) In your case, absolutely. (laughs) You know, but no, seriously, when you were 23 and you thought about being 45 or 47 or 50 or however old you are now, you know, you thought you'd be probably one foot in the grave. But the, the, but the reality is, is that it goes by really fast. Life is very interesting in that respect. So 25 years seems like a really long time considering you've only been on the planet for 22 or 23, but trust me, it'll happen really quickly. So first thing we have to do is add inflation to the 4,000 a month. Cause not only is inflation going to happen after you start drawing from it, but it's going to happen before you start drawing from it. Oh, good point. Right. So yeah, well, you know, I have those from time to time. So we're going to add inflation over the next 25 years to your $48,000 a year lifestyle, which guess what? Now it's a hundred thousand dollar lifestyle. So if you're spending 4,000 a month now, you need to spend $8,000 a month in 25 years from now at 3% inflation. That's just the same lifestyle today. So if you need $100,000 a year and we're going to use that 4% number, now how much money do we need? Uh-oh, 2.5 million. Yeah. So so sorry to burst your bubble there, but 800,000 probably doesn't get anywhere close. And now I think you're also probably thinking, well, hell, I'm never going to get there, so why even bother? At two and a half million, forget it. I'm not even going to try. Well, now let's break this down and use the power compounding, okay? So we've got 25 years to get there. Did he say how much he has right now saved? I can't remember. Just kind of paying off debt, just getting started. No, no, he does. He already has 2,000 in AT&T and BlackRock. Okay. A BlackRock fund. Against two million, we can round and save starting out. All right. And so how much are we saving every month? We can round and save that's nothing. That's so bad. That's a nice it's a nice well, savings. But it's true. Though. It is a yeah, nice savings starting. though. Yeah. It's starting. Yeah, Start starting. from somewhere. Here's the interesting thing. We need to save at ten percent eighteen hundred dollars a month from now for the next twenty five years. Well, you know what eighteen hundred dollars a month is, oddly enough, really close to maxing out your four oh one K. Now you might look at that and say, Well, I don't have $1,800 a month. I can only save $500 a month, or I can only save $1,000 a month right now. How am I going to get to $1,800? This quick calculation assumes that that's $1,800 flat forever. Well, what do we know about your income? In all reality, next year, it's going to be higher. And the year after that, it's going to be higher. And 10 years from now, it's going to be higher. So if the sooner that you can get to this $1,800 a month level at 10% for 25 years, boom, there's your $2.5 million. But the reality is, is that if you set these up on systems, even if you're shy of that today, say, well, all I can do is save, you know, 15% of my income right now, which happens to be 7,500 bucks, not 18,000 a year. Fine. Because guess what? (laughs) In 10 years from now, when you're making 125,000, you'll be saving $40,000 a year or whatever the number is. And so you'll be well above this number at that point. So I think the reality is, is that the number is probably closer to two or three million. Yeah. And even though it seems insurmountable when you're starting at 2000, the importance is getting these habits established right now. Start your 401k, start your Roth contributions, start your brokerage account contributions based on a percentage of your income and don't change that percentage. Put it on autopilot and be done with it. And 10 years from now, you'll be well ahead of this plan. His goal is to build passive income. And he says, what types of passive income should he go after? It's the one that you're most comfortable with. I mean, for a lot of people, it's real estate, 
I'm not a big fan of just dividend paying stocks. Now, it's not that they're bad. It's because I think there's more than one way to take money. You can take it from a capital gain paying fund and just sell shares, or you can take dividends. A lot of investors don't like selling shares because it feels like your your money's going away. But if you actually do the math over longer periods of time, sell the shares or get dividends, sometimes the dividend paying stock approach is a less tax efficient way to do it. Selling shares actually is a better way. So whether it's capital gains or dividends, I don't care how you create your passive pacificity. Is that what we say, OG, in the market? But a real estate portfolio is also fine. To make it truly passive means that you've got somebody else running those properties. It's not actually passive if you're out there fixing toilets. So just a lot of people in real estate talk about uh, passive investing, pretty damn active if you're out there fixing your houses up. Yeah. And there's no right or wrong way to do any of this stuff. It is totally dependent on what you want to do. So for example, you could say, well, how do I get, you know, I'll, I'll accept OG your math of, I need to get a hundred thousand dollars of income. Well, yeah. If you've got $40,000 coming from your rental properties and you need 60,000 from your investment portfolio, okay, Hey, you just do the math. Well, now you need a million and a half dollars, not two and a half million dollars. Yeah. You know, so there's no right or wrong way to do it. But what's the trade-off? The trade-off is along the way, you didn't invest that money in the stock market, you invested in real estate. So it's not that you're getting out of investing something. It's just that you have to put it somewhere else. That's you know? right. It's all precipitation. It doesn't matter if it comes down as rain, sleet, snow, or ice. It's all money. The big so, thing for Joseph that's really cool, Joseph's thinking about this stuff right out of college. Oh, yeah. Holy cow. I can tell you, I don't know how you feel about this, Joe, but again, you probably can't remember being 22, but I can't, to be honest with you. (laughs) That's because you got to go back in time. Wouldn't you do things a lot differently? That's because for you, it was a foamy beverage haze. (laughs) I was working, man, (laughs) but still was hazy. I would do things. I would do things way differently. Yeah. And one of those might, might've been to calculate doing this, yeah. <laughs> calculate this a little earlier than, uh, yeah. than when I did the first time. It's a whole different show, but I can think of like five pieces of advice I've given my 22 year old <laughs> self. All right, OG, I think it's time for you and I to refill our coffee, get ready to take another letter. I think Doug's got some trivia for us. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And you know, while Joe and OG sometimes badmouth Mondays, I personally love them, especially on a day like National Hermit Day. Yeah, after a long weekend of fun stalking both my fans on social media, there's nothing like hiding in the basement, streaming television shows alone, and avoiding Joe's mom when she needs help for, you know, like folding laundry and stupid stuff like that. Anyway, but enough about me. Joe's mom might be on her way down with some more laundry right now. So let's get to this trivia. Let's get it wrapped up, shall we? Speaking of streaming, today is also the anniversary of the creation of streaming service Hulu, which is a joint venture by four different companies. While you may know that Disney, 21st Century Fox, and Comcast through NBC Universal all own a piece, what is the fourth company? I'll be back with your answer as soon as I make sure Joe's mom isn't on her way down to the basement. Gotta avoid that lady. Big 
Big thanks to Mac Weldon for coming on board and supporting Stacking Benjamins. Mac Weldon's a premium men's essentials brand that believes in smart design and premium fabrics. Mac Weldon will give you the ultimate comfort in underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants. Their underwear, socks, and shirts don't only look and feel good, they also perform well. Mac Weldon believes in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. You've got a lot of other things you need to worry about. You don't need to worry about the way you look. And I got to tell you, especially with the weekend wear stuff, I love my Mac Weldon. Just I'm sitting in a pair of pants. And it's funny, when I first heard of Mac Weldon, I thought that these pants were, were glorified sweatpants. And it's funny because I even told Cheryl about them when we got the package. And she said, yeah, all right. And I put them on and she goes, man, you look great. Like they really look good. They're comfortable to wear around home, but you can even make them run to the grocery store and you're going to look fantastic. By the way, I also ordered a pullover sweatshirt, very comfortable fabric. Cheryl immediately stole it. I don't even own that thing anymore. Made for me, bought by me, for me to wear. It's all Cheryl's now. She's like, nope, this one's mine. The socks, the underwear. Well, luckily, I get to keep those too. Their products start with innovative fabrics that each have their own unique purpose and story. This includes their silver line of underwear and shirts made with natural antimicrobial material that eliminates odor to keep you feeling cool and fresh all day long. So whether you're working out, going to your job, going out on dates, or just wearing them in everyday life, Mack Weldon. If you don't like your first pair of underwear, I love this. You can keep it. Mack Weldon will still refund you. No questions asked. Don't like it, keep it, still get a refund. That's pretty cool. Mac Weldon makes online shopping for men's clothes both easier and rewarding. I got to tell you, not only do I like the clothes, as a guy who hates clothes shopping, website's super easy to use. I got in, I got out, my stuff came. It's that easy. It was incredible. I got to tell you, for me, the pants are the thing, especially for a guy who works in his mom's basement. These, uh, these pants are amazing. So for 20% off your first order, head to MacWeldon.com. You're going to use promo code SB at checkout. You know why? Because they're going to give you 20% off your first order that way. If you visit MacWeldon.com and use promo code SB at checkout. Big thanks to Mac Weldon. The following is an actor, not a real person. We tried to find an actual Stacking Benjamins podcast listener, but we're not sure any exist. Yesterday, I turned on one of those other podcasts. Ugh, more money talk? The topic was something called long-term care, and they couldn't even make me care for the short term. That podcast made me feel like just another number. Hi, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, the huge star of the award-winning Stacking Benjamin show. Are you tired of podcasts that blabber on about money? Are you confused about all this IRA, SEPP, 72T, and fiduciary talk? At Stacking Benjamins, you're not just another number to us. Heck, if you actually listen, you're the only number. That's why we barely ever talk about money. Better yet, we treat you like family. We'll invite you on down to Joe's mom's basement, serve you some pie and maybe even a little lemonade. And best yet, when you leave, we'll complain about you behind your back. Because that's what real family moments are all about. I'm never going back to that old podcast. Stacking Benjamins is a way for me to avoid numbers and feel that warm, fuzzy feeling I get every time I scream at my sister on the phone. Stacking Benjamins, where you're not a number. Your family.
Welcome back, fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm celebrating National Hermit Day. How else? By sitting alone, streaming some brilliant shows, including an obscure little gem you've probably never heard of. Uh, it's this uh, kind of like off, off, off-Broadway comic named Seinfeld. Uh, I'd highly recommend it, though. This guy's up and coming. That character, George, is brilliant, and he clearly carries the show, just like... I carry this podcast with my trivia. Speaking of, here was your question. Today is the anniversary of the creation of streaming service Hulu, which is a joint venture by four different companies. While you may know that Disney, 21st Century Fox, and Comcast through NBC Universal all own a piece, what's that fourth company? The answer? While Disney has a 30% stake, 21st Century Fox and Comcast also own 30%, leaving the last 10% to be owned by AT&T through Warner Media. What? AT&T? What are, those are bizarre letters. Is that like from Star Wars or something? I've never heard of it. You know, maybe through my promoting them on this trivia segment, a at at ATT, AT&T, whatever, maybe they'll get big enough that they can buy a bigger stake, you know, and become a bigger household name. Just trying to do my part and help out. See ya! Our next letter comes to us from Gwen. Hey, Joe and OG. Can you elaborate more on your reasoning behind not paying off your mortgage early? I understand the extra money, say 500 a month, could be invested and grow, which could later be used to pay off a mortgage in one lump sum. Essentially, you could pay off the mortgage early, gain some interest, and also have some flexibility in case you change your mind. However, aren't you missing out the opportunity to save interest every month? Doesn't paying $500 extra each month reduce your total interest charge because your principal balance is now decreased by $500? Or put another way, doesn't paying extra in November save you interest in December, etc.? Obviously, one month wouldn't make a dent, but done every month, you could save some serious Benjamins over time. Can you help me on this? Thanks. Love that question, Gwen. And this is all about, it's actually a math question, OG, because once you actually do this math, it works both ways. Well, you know, I think it's funny. I don't think this is a math question. I think this is 100% a personality question because you're right. In the long run, I think you can say from an interest rate arbitrage standpoint, should I pay off something that's guaranteeing me 4% in exchange for something that may or may not get me 9 to 11% a year. It all depends on the timing of that, right? Think about somebody who started the investment account, I'm using air quotes, to pay off their mortgage, let's say March of 2000. And the whole plan was to be done paying off their house by, I don't know, May of 2009. <laughs> How'd that work out for you? Not great. And at that moment, you probably looked at the account and went, well, dang, I should have just put this on my house. And I'd have my house paid off. Instead, I've watched my portfolio go up and down and sideways and now really down. This was a really terrible idea. Contrast that with somebody who, say, started this in March of 2009, and now we are in October of 2018. How did it work out? Well, pretty good if you were pretty well diversified. So it is a little bit of a timing thing. But more than that, it's a behavior thing. And even more than that, it's a personality thing. What do you hate more? Do you hate the idea of the debt? Or do you hate the idea of having to cash out an investment account? Right now, most of the time when you get your house and you're starting your mortgage payment, it kind of takes your breath away because you go, oh my gosh, this is a huge house payment. We're not used to it. 
it's a, you know, some people, 42% of their household income, you know, 25% if you follow the Dave Ramsey deal. And it's still a large number. The nice thing is as your income continues to increase, your mortgage payment stays pretty flat. Now you escrow and you have taxes that increase and insurance that increases, but not at the same rate. So, so the question is, is what, what do you want to do? And that's always how I put it to clients. I would much rather prefer the flexibility of having an investment account that opens up additional opportunities or protects against other, you know, who knows what down the line than guaranteeing put it in the mortgage. We've talked about this before. If you miss your last house payment, they come take the whole house. Now, that's a very extremely crazy, absurd example. But I think it proves the point of if you just stuff in the money in the walls of the house, you have no ability to have a fallback plan. You can't say, well, you know what? We decided to fund college you know, or help our kids out with that or somebody lost their job or decided to stay at home. And so now our lifestyles have changed a little bit. I'll even add another third alternative. What happens if you save enough money into your brokerage account outside of it, and then you get to the point that your brokerage account makes enough money, or you can cash flow your mortgage payment? And so you go, well, now I have $100,000 in my investment account. I owe $200,000 on my mortgage. Can I not set up an automatic payment plan for my $100,000 brokerage account, given certain assumptions of rates of growth, and then have it pay itself off? You know, that could be an option too. It's funny. I'm on record as saying that when people's outside account equaled the mortgage back when I was an advisor, that they never paid their house off. Like they no ne- one ever has. They never yeah. use that. But I did have people do what you said, which is like, you know what? I don't want to make the payment anymore. I will have this account make the payment instead. And people have done that and they love it. They just absolutely love it. What I've had is two people in the last year who have been within let's say five years of paying off their house. You know, the mortgage balance is down to 61,000. They're paying a thousand a month. Maybe they're paying 1200 a month because they're putting a little extra on it. And they just kind of shaking their heads going, this is so annoying. And you go, well, it's going to be paid off anyway in the next few years. You just want to pay it off now. Should I do that? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, do you want to? I'm asking you the question. And in both instances, clients called the next day and said, yeah, we did it yesterday. We paid it off yesterday. Since you said it was okay, we're going to pay it off. That's you know, we know it kind of takes a hit in the investment account. So be it. Huh. Boy, it feels nice. But the the funny thing was I talked to this one person in particular I'm thinking of and I said, so how's that? Did you sleep better that night? Did it feel? She says, yeah, I mean, I guess it was kind of nice. She said, I really thought that there would be more pomp and circumstance around it's hey, done. you paid your house off. Woo-hoo. Like, you know, Egg McMahon shows up with a big <laughs> deed and you got like a balloon party and stuff. She says, yeah, about six weeks later, I got a letter in the mail from the bank that said, you know, We're consider done. us for any if any of your future housing needs. She's like, that was it. I said, yeah, yeah, Nothing. that's pretty unceremonial. Um, uh, so I don't think there's a wrong way to do this. Gwen does it, ask about the math and you, we do have to, so we do have to pay a little bit of attention to that. Gwen, the math. No, the, don't. I was trying to get around it. No, but the math still nine times out of 10 works out way better by putting the money. 60% of the time it works all the time. <laughs> <laughs> the, much more often than that. If you've got at least 15 years left on your mortgage, the math almost every time works out better putting, because she's asking specifically about the, the math. You are saving on interest, but the math inside of the investment account is growing over that long periods of time at a much faster rate. Yeah. It's just saying guaranteed four versus hypothetical 
10 yeah, or whatever. Right. Yeah. And and that is the problem is you're you're going future results against a guaranteed number. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe the right answer is a middle ground. You know, a little bit of both. And say, well, you know, I'll reamortize this in my own head to pay it off in 17 years. But then I'm also going to put a little bit of an, inv- an investment count so that maybe I can pay it off in 12. And as always, by the way, thanks for the question, Gwen. As always, Richie gave us, our producer gave us 10 questions to answer. I told him to cut it to five and we're going to make it to three, which is this one. How about this? This is going to so be- We could do rapid fire. We could just go boom, boom, boom. Just answers with no explanation. Yes. No. Uh-huh. Maybe. <laughs> Talk to somebody. <laughs> I was talking to a client. I got to tell you this funny story. I was talking to a client last week, and he was talking about something very precise, and my answer was, eh. <laughs> and he says, yeah, I really value your opinion, but I kind of feel like the answer should be a little bit more firm than meh. <laughs> I said, okay, fine. I'll do some work on it. <laughs> All right. Here's the uh, the more firm answer. This this question's from Axel, and people are going to have to stay with us because this is a this is like a tiller. Right. Another doozy. This is like a tiller question for those people who don't know about tiller. It's uh, spreadsheets, and uh, we love tiller for tracking expenses. Mister Mister Axel Rose, Stec- everybody, stackybenjamins.com forward slash tiller. If you use that, you will get to kick the tires for a month on tiller. But uh, here's here's what he's asking. He's asking spreadsheet questions, which always make me go, oh boy. On the radio, trying to talk about spreadsheets. Yeah. And then in cell A16, I know. tab, tab, I know. control, alt, I am, F7. Let's see if we can do this. Axel says, hi, first time listener, first time caller. Are compounding interest equations like Excel's future value formula lying to us? I thought to get an accurate prediction of investment performance, you choose an annual interest rate like 5%, an expense ratio like 0.65%, and you do the math. B equals balance, C equals contribution, I equals interest, ER is the expense ratio. New balance then equals B plus C times 1 minus ER times 1 plus I. So the balance plus the contribution times 1 minus the expense ratio times 1 plus interest. New balance becomes B, and you repeat this for how many years you want to project forward. Cool, I thought, until I plugged in no numbers for my 401k. I know the following stuff. I know the calendar year total return. I know the contribution amount. I know the expense ratio. I know the balances. But when I plug in the numbers, my math tells me I would have made 414000 when in reality, the balance is more like 267000 If the math I use is what so many people use to forecast future retirement returns, then me and everyone else is going to be screwed. The projections we make are so far off. How can we accurately plan for retirement? Please help me fix my math. I want to do accurate back of the Excel spreadsheet math. Thanks, Axel. I've got one one thought on what I think he's doing wrong. but um, Yeah, might be the same thing that you're uh, thinking. Yeah, what are you thinking? I think that he's putting the expense ratio in as a percentage and not as there's too many, not enough zeros at the beginning part of that. Me too. And, and I actually think that the number he's using as, as interest rate, he's taking the expense ratio off of that. And I believe the number that he's getting for interest rate already has the expense ratio baked in. Yeah. Here's the other problem with future value calculations versus real life. And why your numbers are always going to be different versus, you know, because 
your returns don't happen on the last day of the year or the first part of the year. And so future value calculations are assuming you get to pick, by the way, this is another unique thing of Excel. Do you want that interest rate to be credited on day one or on day 365? I always want it on day one. Always. Well, that's when you get to pick, unless you owe the money and then you <laughs> want it. Right. You want prefer to be. Day. Oh, I'm sorry. Do I owe? I want that the last day, please. But what happens in real life? What happens in real life is that your returns are on a daily basis. And guess what? Your expense ratio is on a daily basis also. And so there are some days when your returns and expense ratio are really bad. And there are some days when your expense ratio and returns are really good. And so each one of those dollars that you're contributing, if you say, hey, I'm going to contribute you know, $1,500 a month to my 401k, they're all being invested at different time periods and all at different rates of return. And each one of those days, it really matters. And so uh, so that's another reason why it's going to be off. It doesn't explain a $200,000 gap, which I think what we first led with does, but it will illustrate a much tighter uh, uh, return variance between, hey, the I did it on my HP calculator and it says I should have 280000 but reality, I'd 265, you know, that's just, that's just returns not being uniform and also not being at the end of the time. And you're right. I think probably the biggest thing is that when you see your investment return, I got 8.682% this year. That's net of everything. That's what you get to keep in your pocket because you don't also then see a line item from your mutual fund company that says, PS, here's how much you're going to pay us now. They hide that crap. Well, of course they do. Yes. Cause there's also stuff in there that you don't see like trading costs. Well, if you have an index fund and they have to go sell, you know, a billion shares of Apple on June 30th, get that, that costs some money. Well, it costs you money. <laughs> you know, it just comes out of the calculation. So, you know, you don't see any of those sorts of things. So when you've got trading costs and brokerage fees and all those things that mutual fund companies or ETFs have, that's all kind of baked in there. Yeah. Um, right away. Uh, this is also, Axel, why uh, financial planners when they're looking at this, won't use Excel year by year. They will use something called a Monte Carlo simulation. And we're going to have some Friday FinTech, uh, a Friday FinTech company in the next couple months coming on uh, in Kansas City, by the way. We met uh, a guy running an incubator in Kansas City while we were there. He'll be on our live show from Kansas City. And one of the firms that they are working with is bringing Monte Carlo simulations. So what that does is it says, how likely are you to reach your goal based on what you're doing? And then you continually put in new numbers until it runs all the different uh, calculations, all kinds of different calculations about how much you make every year. And I think that'll make that'll make it much easier for you to do that math. Yeah, yeah. It's not. Unfortunately, life is not an Excel spreadsheet. We would love to answer questions. By the way, we have lessons from Anna and Keith that we didn't get to. So, and then we have uh, lots, lots, lots more. Any of that. them that we can just rapid fire? No. No, these okay. are these are fantastic questions, and I absolutely love them. But they are in depth, like the three. And by the way, thanks for sending us these in depth questions. We love them, and uh, we are going to get to these as soon as we possibly can. Thanks for everybody again coming out to our live shows. Thanks for people that have left us. I got so many people. I've, I'm feeling love. OG, just we have a nice little community here in the basement, and uh, we're so happy that you're with us. Uh, that's going to do it for today, Doug. You got it from here, man. What should we have learned today? 
So, what did you learn today? Probably nothing, but I'll see if I can't salvage the last 45 minutes of your life for you and try to scrap something together. Here we go. First, annuities. Maybe we didn't learn much about them, but we do know that longevity is a big issue in the financial community. And the question, what if I live for like a really long time, is one that you should be prepared to answer. Second, thinking about paying off your house, there are many ways to get that job done. Whether you sock the money directly into your mortgage or build one of these pay off your mortgage funds is less about math and maybe more about you. When it comes to investing, know yourself. You don't want to sabotage your plans later, but the big lesson, don't tell mom your only hermit joke. Her sense of humor is horrible. Okay. Uh, I'll tell it. Yeah, I know you're dying to know. Did you hear the one about the hermit who was pulled over by the police? (laughs) He was recluse driving. Oh, come on. That is funny, OG. God, you're a robot. Special thanks to Lauren Minchez for joining us. You'll find Lauren at BlueprintIncome.com. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I swear the worst part about coming over to Joe's mom's house is having to put on pants. SB Podcast may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Thanks to both my fans for coming to see me last week in Detroit. Who knew that fans rabid fans, out-of-control fans, would be dressed as Detroit police officers and carry this little joke called a restraining order. Oh my god, it was hilarious. Very funny, guys. Very funny. I'll call you about 47 times tonight to see if you think it's really funny. You and I spent some time on airplanes and aeroplanos, uh, which means we've got some movies to talk about. I saw this movie, which stars Amy Schumer called I Feel Pretty. Are you shopping for a gift? Kind of browsing for me. So sizing is a little limited here in the store, but you could probably find your size online. I have a crazy idea. Let's be honest for a minute. No matter how many times we hear, it's what's on the inside that matters. Women know deep down, 
It's what's on the outside that the whole world judges. You okay? I'm just like dealing with low self-esteem and like... I want to punch you right in your dumb face right now. Do you have every rib that I have? I've been on all of these sites. No one even looks at the profile. They only care about the picture. And I'm sick of it! I've always wondered what it feels like to be just undeniably pretty. Okay. okay. You hit your head pretty hard. Wait. That's me. That's me. Oh my god, do you see this? Yes. I'm beautiful. She hits her head pretty hard. She looks exactly the way that she did before, and she thinks all of a sudden that she's incredibly beautiful and the world changes for Amy Schumer. I heard bad stuff about this movie. I read that uh, the movie was rotten, and then several people that I know saw it, and definitely a movie about women and body shaming, not my thing. (laughs) So (laughs) I was more than happy to skip it, but after all the good reviews about how funny it was, I watched this movie, and uh, incredibly formulaic, OG. Like, this is a paint-by-numbers movie. You've seen this before, from the beginning. Yeah, I have. It's called Shallow Hell. <laughs> it totally is. It's the same movie, different people, a little bit different plot, but man, is it funny. And and I laughed out loud several times on the plane through this movie. I liked it. And while it's never going to be movie of the year, it's never going to be the uh, end-all be-all for films. Uh, I, I had a fun two hours on the plane. In fact, I was I was pretty peeved because I took a couple breaks during the movie. I had a couple of ideas for future shows for us. You know, I always get these ideas when I'm on a plane. So I paused it. And of course that meant there was 15 minutes. To, that that Dallas to Detroit flight is yeah, one, one movie. Dude, you better start it at 10,000 feet. Cause and so I know what you're talking about, about these past reviews where, where, where you, you cannot pause it. And I did. So on the flight back uh, to Texarkana, I had to watch the rest of it and very, very funny. And I'm glad that I did. So uh, thumb up from me for I Feel Pretty. I think it's a good message too. And the, the message you can even get from the damn trailer that it's not about, it's, you know, not, not to spoil the movie, but it isn't about the way that you look. It's about the confidence that you have and uh, really like that message. Thought it was good. Okie dokie. That's- I will see this a quarter to never. Yes, I'm, I know you will. And that's what I love about you. He's like, yep, uh, no thank you. Hard pass, but I'm sure you liked it, and I'm sure other people will too. Yes, I think they will. Well, Stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout-outs to all of our friends who have served in the military and let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend og who spent time in the military and of course we know what a giver he is even when he pretends like he's being uh, mr surly navy federal offers member only exclusive rates discounts and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals visit navyfederal.org celebrate and you'll see all their military appreciation month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members, 
are the mission. Navy Federals insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.